God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Atop Mount Sinai, wrapped in fire and cloud, Yahweh speaks to Moses. He calls Israel to build a glorious and beautiful tent, a tabernacle, where God can dwell in the midst of the Israelite camp, where Israel can approach God in worship. We talked about the tabernacle is a symbolic mountain. It will be a portable Mount Sinai for Israel. Aaron, the high priest, will ascend into that mountain, moving from the courtyard to the holy place to the most holy place. And there he will bear the memorial prayers of Israel before Yahweh's throne, just as Moses ascended to the glory cloud atop Mount Sinai. The tabernacle is a new Mount Sinai, a portable Mount Sinai. But the tabernacle is also a new Garden of Eden, a new creation. There are three zones at creation, just as there are three zones at the tabernacle. At creation, there is the garden that's surrounded by the land of Eden, and Eden was then surrounded by the world beyond. So at the tabernacle, there's the tabernacle itself, there is the camp of Israel that surrounds the tabernacle, and then there are all the nations outside of Israel, uh, outside Even the instructions for the building of this tabernacle correspond to the seven days of creation. The first day of creation, God said, let there be light. In the tabernacle instructions, they first call for a lampstand to bring forth light in the darkness. The second day of creation, God said, let there be a firmament to separate the waters above from waters below. The next thing in the tabernacle instructions, God calls for a tent to separate his house from the courtyard. The third day of creation, God says, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. Here, the tabernacle instructions call for an altar. It's made of bronze, precious metals from the earth. It is a symbolic mountain. It rises out of the courtyard as the land rises out of the sea. The fourth day of creation, God says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. The tabernacle instructions call, Bring pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning. The fifth day of creation, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the firmament of the heavens. Now, I admit this one's a little trickier to see. This is the priestly garments. But it helps to know that in Hebrew, the word for hem is actually wing. The garments of the priest have wings, and so they are like angels fluttering around in Yahweh's heavenly house. And this brings us to the sixth day of creation where God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so the sixth call of the tabernacle instructions is a call for the ordination of priests to serve in Yahweh's house. 
the book of Exodus portrays the tabernacle as a new creation, a new garden of Eden. And what does the consecration of the priests correspond to in that creation account? The sixth day, the creation of man. Now what's interesting here is if you look at uh, pagan accounts of the time of their temples, the temples that they built, the idol is the image of God. And when that idol is built and installed in a new temple, it signified that the God had been enthroned, had come into his house. But in the instructions for the tabernacle, Yahweh does not call for the construction of an idol of wood or of stone. He calls for the ordination of priests. From the sixth day account in Genesis, we know humans are the image of God. Adam and Eve are the image of God, which he sets up in his garden sanctuary. Not a lifeless statue of stone or wood, but a living, breathing human being. This is the image of God. And so the tabernacle is a new garden sanctuary. And the image of God that is to be installed in the tabernacle is the priest. Worshippers of Yahweh will not bring their offerings to a lifeless idol. Worshippers of Yahweh will bring their offerings to a person. And that person images forth God. And that person helps them draw near to the true God. So in his new garden, Yahweh also places a new Adam, Aaron, the high priest, and his sons as his helpers. And he says they are to be consecrated, which simply means they are to be made holy. And I would remind you of what we said last week. Think of holy as meaning acceptable in God's presence. Something that is holy is acceptable in God's presence. And so all the furnishings and utensils of this house, this tabernacle, must be made holy. And the priests, too, must be declared holy by Yahweh before it's safe for them to work in his house. The priests are also to be ordained, the text says. And the Hebrew word translated ordination literally means to fill the hand. To fill the hand. That's what ordination is. And the idea here is of, of giving someone the tools or materials that they need to do their job, that they've been called to. In a moment, we're going to see Aaron's hands will literally be filled with the offerings of meat and grain that he is to give to Yahweh. His hands are being filled to work as a servant in Yahweh's house. And what else are the priests being ordained to? What is their calling? For one thing, they are ordained to serve and to guard the tabernacle. To serve and to guard. And those words are significant. They are to perform the service of the tabernacle. Now we're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about the sacrifices. But that's largely what the service of the tabernacle has to do with. Preparing and offering these meals, these sacrificial meals to Yahweh and all the cleaning and the preparation that goes into that. That's the service of the tabernacle. It is equated with worship. They are also to guard the tabernacle. And that means simply to protect it, to keep unholy people or things from coming into God's house because they would defile his sacred house and they would thus incur God's wrath. If he has not declared these things holy, they cannot come into his presence. And so priests are called to serve and to guard 
God's house and God's people from crossing those boundaries. What's interesting here is that those same Hebrew words of to serve and to guard, that's exactly how the work of Adam is described in the book of Genesis. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to serve in it and to guard it. It's the same Hebrew words. And so what does that mean? That means Adam was a kind of priest in the garden sanctuary and In turn, it means that the priests serve as new Adams in a new garden sanctuary of the tabernacle. And it makes sense if you think about it, because Adam's primary work and calling had to do with food as well. He was called to cultivate, to have dominion over plants and animals. And there were sacred meals in the garden, too. There is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And God gives specific words about how these meals are to be uh, maintained. Adam was supposed to guard these things. And he was supposed to serve and obey God's commands concerning these sacred meals. And so the fall of man comes when Adam fails in his priestly task. He failed to guard the sanctuary from the serpent. He allowed the bride to be led into idolatry. Adam was an unfaithful priest. And so here in Exodus, God begins a new creation, a new garden with new Adams. Will they be faithful where the first priest failed? Now we know from the rest of the Bible that these new Adams, the priests of Israel, were often unfaithful. Aaron himself builds a golden calf before Moses even makes it down the mountain to ordain him. The priests did not always serve and guard as they were called to. This is why God had to send a greater Adam, a greater priest, Jesus Christ. In order for the sons and daughters of Adam to be redeemed and restored, one son of Adam had to be faithful where all the others had failed. One priest had to faithfully serve and guard the sanctuary so that God and man might finally dwell together in holiness as intended in the creation, as intended in the tabernacle. That's what Jesus did. Instead of giving in to temptation, he held fast to the word of God. In his faithfulness, in his self-offering on the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent to save the bride. By his own holiness, he purified the sanctuary and made all his people holy as well. And so Christ is the better priest, which means Christ is the better Adam. In him, God and man are truly united as it was always intended to be. Back to the tabernacle, though, we see that in this new garden, the priests are new Adams, and they are given the same calling as Adam to serve and guard this place so that a holy God can dwell with his people. But since humanity is fallen, since we bring sin and death with us, since Aaron and his sons are also guilty of idolatry, they have to undergo a consecration process. They have to be made holy if they are to serve in the house of a holy God. And so God describes that process to Moses on top of the mountain. 
God tells Moses how to do this, how to consecrate these priests in Exodus 29, but we see that actual ordination happen in Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, and so that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And so I want you to kind of pay attention to this process, the steps that the priests have to go through to be ordained. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert here. We're going to see that this process, the ordination of the priests, you can lay it right over the gospel story. And you find out that Jesus in his life, death, resurrection is being ordained as God's high priest. So pay attention to how we go through this process and then we'll add it all up at the end here. The first step is that Aaron and his sons must be washed. They must be baptized. Dirt is the prosecutor of the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you, God tells Adam. So the dirt must be washed from Aaron and his sons before they can serve the Lord. You have to be baptized to become a priest. And this is an important thing for us to remember in our own baptisms as well. We were baptized into a calling, into a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. Every Christian is baptized to serve and guard God's house and to help others draw near to him. That is foreshadowed here in the cleansing of the priests. Next, Aaron is clothed in the priestly garments. We talked about those a lot last week, so we're not going to go in depth here. And the next thing that Moses does is he takes the anointing oil and he anoints the whole tabernacle and all that is in it, consecrating them. And then he takes that same anointing oil and he pours it on Aaron's head, anointing him, consecrating him. This makes sense because what did we see last week with the garments? The priest is a walking tabernacle. You anoint the tabernacle, you anoint the priest. They are both part of God's house. And so he takes the anointing oil, he pours it on Aaron's head, and so that means the priests are anointed ones. And what's the Hebrew word for anointed one? Messiah. The priests are messianic figures. The Messiah is a priestly figure. Again, priests and tabernacle correspond to one another, and we see that in the fact that they are anointed and consecrated in the same way. Liquid light is put on them, making them shining stars fit to serve in the heavenly place. The next thing that happens is uh, to consecrate the priests is for sacrifices to be offered, and this takes up much of the account. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about the animal sacrifices, what they mean, what they represent. But God commands Israel uh, to offer sacrifices for the ordination of the priests. And he calls Israel to offer sacrifices for themselves, but they can't do that until they have a consecrated priest. And so that's what we do now. Aaron and his sons cannot be consecrated until they bring a sacrifice for themselves. And so first, Aaron brings a bull. It is a sin offering. This offering deals with Aaron and his son's sin. And Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the bull. And this is a way of physically showing that this bull represents them. This is me. The bull stands in their place. And then Aaron kills the bull, representing death to sin, payment for sin. And then Moses, he acts sort of as the temporary priest, and he takes 
the blood and he puts it on the horns of the altar. That's its corners. He also pours it out at the base of the altar. And the text says he did this to consecrate the altar, to make atonement for it, which means to cover it. Now, why would putting blood on this altar make it holy? The text doesn't describe how this works. It just says this is the way you make things holy. But in the Bible, it seems that blood opens doorways to new worlds. The best example of this is Passover, right? There is a bloody doorway, and it's not only Israel's exit from bondage in Egypt, but it's their entrance into this new life of covenant with Yahweh. It's the first step into the promised land. Blood opens doorways to new worlds. The Apostle Paul says as much in our epistle reading for today, Hebrews 10, 19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, blood also opens the doorway to heaven. That's probably what we're seeing here. The blood on the altar opens the door to heaven so that the altar can enter into God's heavenly house and be acceptable to him. And now that the altar is consecrated, now that it's holy, it can be used for the purpose for which it was created. And do you know what that is? It's a barbecue pit, right? Fourth of July, this should be on our minds. The altar is a barbecue pit. It's where God's servants cook meals for God. And we're going to talk again more about this next Sunday, but that's what Moses does now. He cuts up and prepares this meat to be cooked on Yahweh's altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. Now, there are more offerings for Aaron and his sons, and we won't get into all of them, but the third of these is unique. It's called the ram of ordination, right? The ram of the filling of the hands, because this offering is specific to this rite, the ordination of the priests. And with this offering, we read, Leviticus 8.23, Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Well, that seems weird, right? But everything about this seems weird, so let's be honest. But this is not the first time we've seen Moses put blood on something, is it? What else did he put blood on? He put blood on the four horns of the altar. Just as he put blood on the extremities of the altar, now he puts blood on the extremities of the man. He consecrates the ears which Aaron will use to listen to the Lord. He consecrates the hand that Aaron will use to serve the Lord. He consecrates the foot that will carry Aaron throughout the tabernacle grounds. Moses is consecrating the whole man to enter into the house of Yahweh and serve him there. And this shows us that just as we saw the priest is like a walking tabernacle, now we see that he's also a walking altar. Right? Just as blood had to be displayed on the altar so that it could go into God's house, so blood must be displayed on Aaron so he can enter God's house. Blood opens the doorway to heaven. We learn that the priest is a walking altar. And that kind of makes sense if you're thinking in terms of biblical symbolism because we know that God is a consuming fire. 
the altar fire represents God's consuming fire. And we know that man is the image of God, as we've already said. And man is also a consuming fire, an eating fire, as I'm sure your grumbling stomachs can attest right now, right? We are little consuming fires. We've talked in the past about how the Hebrew word for man is ish, and the Hebrew word for fire is esh. Very similar. We are living flames. God puts a little of his fire into us, and we bear that fire. We bear that flame in reflection of his glory. And so now we see this being embodied in the altar, and the priests both correspond to each other. They both contain the fire of Yahweh. They are both consecrated with blood to enter God's heavenly house. Moses then adds a grain offering to the ordination offering. In verse 27, we're told, He put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Remember what we said earlier, the Hebrew word translated ordination is literally the filling of the hands. And so here you see the priest's hands are being filled with the objects of his vocation, which will be to bring the people's offerings to God, to prepare God's meals and place them on the altar. Then Moses took the offerings from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Again, Blood opens the door to heaven for the tabernacle, for the altar, for the garments, and for the priest himself. All these things must be covered with blood to be made holy to enter God's house. Now, all of this is done according to Yahweh's instructions from back there in Exodus 29. And there we learn that they were also to repeat this consecration every day for seven days. Seven is the number of fullness and completion, and that is what God requires to make these instruments and people holy to enter his house. And so seven days, they repeat this process, and then we come to the eighth day. Seven days to create a world, then on the eighth day, the new world begins. In Leviticus 9, we read verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel... And he, from there, he tells Aaron to bring an offering for himself, and he also calls the people of Israel to bring offerings for themselves, ascension offerings and peace offerings, to sacrifice to the Lord. And then at the end of verse 4, he says, For today the Lord will appear to you. So we have all this time and labor and skill and preparation has gone into building this beautiful house for Yahweh, into preparing the garments for the priests, and all this time into the ordination process, it's all coming together, and now it's finally move-in day. It's move-in day. And Aaron does as God commands. He offers sacrifices for himself. He offers sacrifices for the people. And then in verse 22, we are told, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, 
And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people in the tabernacle. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is what we call a theophany. It's an appearance of the Lord. And it's the very fulfillment of what Yahweh promised way back in Exodus 29, verse 44. He said, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So this is what we have. Now, finally, the living God has moved in with his people, which was the whole goal of the Exodus. It's why God called his son out of Egypt to go into the wilderness and serve him there so that he could dwell with his people. The husband has built a home that he might dwell with his bride. And so this new reality, this new creation is powerfully demonstrated for the people of Israel when the glory cloud of smoke and fire descends on the tabernacle. This is the same cloud which led them out of Egypt, the same cloud that led them through the Red Sea, the same cloud which descended on Mount Sinai in such power that they trembled with fear. That same glory cloud of Yahweh now descends on the tabernacle. And the fire rushes out from the tent and consumes the offerings that are on the altar. It completely consumes the ascension offering, showing that God has accepted Israel's worship and has brought them to himself. Now, that's not going to happen every single offering after this, right? The glory cloud's not going to descend every time. The priests will start and stoke this altar fire in the future. But at this initial offering, Yahweh himself shows up. And he does that to teach his people that they are to see this altar fire, even when it's stoked by the priests, that it's Yahweh's fire, that it's his presence among them, that their offerings on this altar are being accepted by him in heaven. And so Yahweh comes in the glory cloud to show that he is the one who has called Aaron and his sons. He is the one who has consecrated them, who has covered their sin. And he ordains them as his chosen household servants. So we need to think first of all about what all this means for the people of Israel. Now that they have consecrated priests, they can worship the God who delivered them from Egypt. Not through golden calves, not through misguided worship of the idolatrous nations that surround them, but through the means that the living God himself has established and told about in his word and which he promises to bless. It means that now they have an anointed one. They have a Messiah who can help them draw near to the living God, who can pray for them and intercede for them with God so that they can receive the forgiveness and the restoration and the provision and the peace that God has promised them. This priesthood is a blessing for Israel. It is nothing less than the gift of access to the Father, access to the Holy One of Israel, access to their Redeemer. 
And so I'm sure you're already making connections to the person and work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, the fascinating thing is you can actually overlay this ordination of the priests onto the gospel story. And when you do, you'll find that the gospels are showing us Jesus being ordained as our great high priest. And so think about the sequence and steps of this ordination process and consider how they are reflected in the life of Christ. Aaron's ordination begins with his baptism. And Jesus' ministry begins with his baptism. Aaron is accompanied by his sons who will help him in his priestly service. And so after his baptism, Jesus is given disciples to help him in his ministry. Aaron spends seven days being faithful to the word God has spoken, being consecrated to perform his priestly service. Jesus is faithful to God's word for the fullness of his life. For three years, he continually shows himself holy, fit to serve in God's house, fit to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Aaron then sacrifices himself by offering a substitute animal in his place. And he does the same for Israel, offering them to God through substitutes. But Jesus offers no animal. He offers himself on the cross. He is the spotless lamb. He is the ram caught in the thicket, both priest and sacrifice. And so Jesus offers himself in place of fallen humanity. Aaron, after offering the sacrifices, lifts his hands and blesses the people from the altar. Jesus, after sacrificing himself on the cross, rises from the grave brings us the blessing of resurrection life. And he speaks blessing to his disciples when he meets with them. Peace be with you. He brings us peace. After blessing the people from the altar, Moses and Aaron go into the tent, ascending to the most holy place. Jesus, having been raised from the dead, ascends to the true heaven, where he lives to intercede for us before the Father. Having gone into the most holy place, Aaron steps out of the tent and he blesses the people once again. Jesus showers blessings on his church from his throne in heaven. As Aaron blesses the people, fire comes down and consumes the offering on the altar. From heaven, the Lord Jesus sends down his spirit. And how does his spirit appear? Tongues of fire on his living altars, his apostles. And this fire continues to burn in his church as the continual presence of God in his living tabernacle. So you see, the story of the Gospels is the story of Jesus' ordination as our great high priest. In our fallen state, we could not approach God. We could not commune with the Father. Our sin barred us from enjoying his presence. We were in desperate need of a priest in desperate need of a mediator, an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ. We needed one who was consecrated. We needed one who was holy. We needed not only a priest to help us draw near to God, we needed a substitute to be killed, cleansed, consumed, and ascended to God's presence in our place. We needed one who could then turn to speak heaven's blessings upon us. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. 
one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Hebrews 8, 1 through 2. The Gospels show us that our priest has come. He has faithfully submitted himself to the consecration and ordination rite. He faithfully offered his own flesh and blood on our behalf. He faithfully carried us on his own person into heaven and presents us to God with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And he speaks blessing over us, pouring his own spirit out upon us. This is our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who brings us near to God. Let us seek his priestly service right now. Jesus, great high priest, you are the Holy One of God. You are the only mediator between God and man. You served faithfully as the living tabernacle. You offered yourself as our purification, our ascension, and our peace offering. We give you thanks and praise. We ask that you would continue to intercede for us and draw us ever nearer to the Father. We ask that you would bless us with your word and sacrament that we might be your priestly people, helping the world draw near to you. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.